Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 276 of Linux in the Ham Shack. This is where we do our deep dive and we are going to do a deep dive tonight we're going to jump into the topic of logical volume management which is an insanely deep topic it's abysmal to use a word in a different way than it usually gets word or used um but we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit we're gonna dip our toes into the deep end and see how that comes off um on this the most terrific amateur podcast amateur radio podcast well clearly amateur too yeah yeah Yeah, clearly (laughs) podcast on the internet and um your amateur hosts for tonight are russ k5tux that'd be me i'm cheryl w5moo and i'm bill any 4rd so um we are your amateurs for the evening and we will be talking about logical volume management and i honestly think bill threw this topic in there because he knew i'd be doing all the talking so. <laughs> I kind of planned it that way. Uh, I, plus, uh, plus, I always always hear these uh, these problems you've had with installers when actually employing LVM during install, and uh, like you had this problem with when you did the uh, Ubuntu Budgie install. I think that was last year sometime, and you couldn't get it to work because the LVM was breaking. So I was like, well, that sounds like a good topic to kind of generally talk about because it is inside of the installer, and it is one of those options that. You know, maybe you maybe you're used to just hitting the erase disk and <laughs> and just install auto magically, um, but this is definitely an option that uh, I think it lends to more power and everything else. And and I kind of kind of thought you would be more the guy that can can kind of dig that you know use case and and everything else out as well as defining exactly what it is for people that might not be familiar with what that option is in the installation. Well, I can certainly dig a bigger hole if that's what you're looking for. Um, and it it is more powerful than simply just allocating partitions on a disk but again with features comes complexity and i will say that if you are in a situation where your computer only has a single hard drive and you are simply partitioning a single hard drive to run your linux operating system especially if you don't have a dual boot or anything like that then you probably don't need logical volume management but as you say with most of the newer more modern linux distributions it is an option that's available uh, for setting up your hard disks and it's to the point where actually using lvm doesn't have any performance hit so if you wanted to use it you could but if you're not going to use one of its more advanced features or some of the things that it's capable of doing, like software RAID support or something like that, it's probably strictly not necessary. But given that it's an option in most of the modern installers, 
we should probably take a look at what it is and what it does. So the first thing we're going to talk about is what is LVM? And it means logical volume management, which we've already said. Uh, and I'm just going to read through some of the uh, bullet points that I found on the various parts of the web earlier today that, that kind of define what it is in a basic way. In Linux, the logic logical volume manager is a device mapper target that provides logical volume management for the Linux kernel. And most modern Linux distributions are LVM aware. And most of them now are aware to the point that you can actually use LVM on a boot device. Though I think that practice is probably still discouraged to a certain extent. LVM allows for flexible disk space management. It provides features like the ability to add disk space to a logical volume and its associated file system. While that file system is mounted and active, and it allows for the collection of multiple physical hard drives and partitions into a single volume group, which can then be divided into logical volumes. The volume manager also allows reducing the amount of disk space allocated to a logical volume, though there are some caveats with changing the size of logical volumes. Uh, if you've ever used like parted to resize a partition, it's, it's usually okay if you make the partition larger because there's no problems with that. But when you get around to the, the part where you want to make that partition smaller, you definitely need to be careful that you're not making it too small to actually reallocate the, the data that's on that partition. And the same kind of problems can crop up with Logical Volume Manager. Um, so we should probably talk about the core parts of LVM. This is kind of a layered structure, the way this works. And there are lots of diagrams on the interwebs about the, the layered structure of how Logical Volume Manager works. And if you go to Google, you know, like the Google image search, and you type logical volume manager, you will get a whole lot of images that show the layering of how it works. So what, what you start with is your actual devices, your physical volumes. And this is usually some sort of storage media, like for example, a disk drive. Um, a disk drive is like a raw device. And in order to use it in logical volume manager, you have to add it as a physical volume. Now, a physical volume describes either a hard drive device, a complete hard drive device, or a partition on a hard drive. So you can have like a one terabyte hard drive that's partitioned into two 500 terabyte segments, and each of those can be considered a physical volume. You can also have multiple hard drives, and you can partition those down into different partitions, or you can keep them whole and define each of them as a physical volume. And if you have multiple physical volumes, you can then combine them into volume groups. And we'll kind of talk about that as you go. But the idea of this layering effect is you can spread data across different storage media in different ways to give you different configurations that might be more useful to you. If you're familiar with JBOD, which is slang for just a bunch of disks, um, there are different like storage solutions out there that use JBOD, which take a bunch of different size um, physical disks, throw them into a box, and then create a file system that crosses all of those physical devices. Well, LVM does the same kind of thing. It just does it in software in the Linux kernel. 
So if you start at the bottom layer, you have a physical device. On top of that physical device, you create a physical volume. On top of that physical volume, you create a volume group, which can contain one or more physical volumes. And then on top of that volume group, you create a logical volume. And your logical volume gives you a virtual device. So like if your partition table had slash dev slash SDA1, that would be a physical partition on a hard disk. So a logical volume would be the equivalent of that, but it would be on top of the layered parts of logical volume manager, which may or may not be restricted to one physical partition. Could be across multiple disks. It could be all of one physical disk. It, it could be any number of configurations. So before I move on from that, have I lost everybody? <laughs> what? <laughs> Don KBTYSI says LVM is magic. He tries to stay away from. That's probably smart. <laughs> it does have its uses, though. Um, and given more time, or maybe in another episode, we should probably talk about ZFS and maybe compare and contrast LVM with ZFS because they do provide a lot of the same functionality and some folks like LVM, some folks like ZFS, and it, it might be worth actually uh, exploring that later on. But tonight we're just going to talk about LVM. So uh, chuckles aside, are we good so far? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. All right. start Starting to come together, making some <laughs> sense. Um, as, as you said earlier, Bill, the Modern Linux distributions actually have the option to set up LVM like automatically for you inside the installer. Usually what Correct. that consists of is taking whatever physical volume you assign, creating the physical volume or the PV, creating the volume group, and then creating a logical volume on top of that. Uh, you can, of course, do it manually, or you can do it manually after the fact. So let's explore before I go into actually like creating all of these different layers some of the fundamental features of what Logical Volume Manager can do. Uh, the first one is, oops, I saw activity in the chat. <sighs> uh, he says, you can't create hard links. Adon KC9ZMY says, you cannot create hard links across file systems. That is correct, but that's independent of Logical Volume Manager specifically. That has to do with the actual file system level, which is actually on top of all of this stuff that we're gonna talk about. So you can create a hard link across volumes in an LVM setup as long as the logical volume is consistent. So we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the actual file system level because we're, we're still sort of underneath that in the, uh, in the diagram. If you're looking at a diagram of this, it might make a little more sense. So sorry, that was kind of like jumping out of order there, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so back to fundamental features of logical volume manager. One, volume groups can be resized online by absorbing new physical volumes or ejecting existing ones. So that's kind of nice. Logical volumes can be resized online by concatenating extents onto them or truncating extents from them. We'll talk a little bit about how that works. Uh, logical volumes can be moved between physical volumes while they're online. This is useful if you have a hard drive that's failing, for example, and you bring a new hard line on, uh, or hard drive online, you can actually move a, lo a logical volume from one physical volume to another physical volume without destroying it. Uh, creation of read-only snapshots of logical volumes or read-write snapshots 
of logical volumes can be done. Volume groups can be split or merged in situ as long as no logical volumes span the split. And we'll talk a little bit about that. That That's probably the deepest we're going to get into this because this is a very deep well. <laughs> and we don't want to go all the way down because we won't come back up. Um, and this can be useful in migrating whole logical volumes to or from offline storage. We're not, we're not going to get into offline storage. That's an advanced topic. So, uh, logical volume manager objects can be tagged for administrative convenience. That's nice. You can label things at the file system level and at the LVM level. And volume groups and logical volumes can be made active as the underlying devices become available through the use of the LV MetaD daemon. And that's something that's going to be for advanced topics that we will not talk about. Uh, but it does allow for uh, dynamic allocation of logical volume storage if you want to get that deep into it, which we're not doing. So some of the advanced things you can do with LVM are things like software RAID, and it supports RAID 1, 5, and 6. If you don't know what RAID levels are or what RAID is, for example, that is a topic for, I guess, Googling. <laughs> um RAID, by the way, stands for Redundant Array of Inexpensive Disks, which is kind of the precursor to JBOD. Um, they all kind of do the same thing, but the idea is you create redundancy. And the idea behind the redundancy is that you have multiple disks that contain um, like checksums and redundant copies of information so that if you lose a disk or in some RAID configurations, multiple disks, you haven't lost your top layer file system. And LVM can mimic that functionality. Uh, some other advanced features of LVM include hybrid volumes for caching. That is, that's something I have never done, so we're not touching that. Uh, but the idea is if you have some low speed drives, like some 5400 RPM spindle speed drives and some solid state drives, you can create a hybrid environment where the solid state drives are used to cache data for the slower speed drives to update the speed on your overall storage system. You can also create thinly provisioned logical volumes out of pool storage. That's a super advanced topic we're definitely not touching. You can also do high availability and you can create file system snapshots. If anybody's used uh, VMware or VirtualBox or anything like that to create a snapshot of a file system, this is something the logical volume manager can do as well. It's not quite as robust some of those virtual machine environments because it actually requires a copy like a literal copy of the file system so let's talk a little bit about how this works like how would you set up logical volume manager now if you're in the installer of a linux distribution setting up logical volume manager is actually pretty easy because you can have it automatically set up your system to use logical volume manager and what that will do is for example if you have a single hard drive system it will automatically create the physical volume, which will encompass the entire hard disk. It will create the volume group, which will encompass the entire hard disk. And then it will create the normal partitions, whether it's root only or root and home or root opt home or root opt temp home or root opt temp var home or whatever, you know, specific orientation you have set up. And it will create all of those file systems on top of automatically created logical volumes. Or you can actually do the whole process manually. Inside the installer, you can go into the partitioner 
and you can say, I want to set this entire physical volume to be this hard drive. You can then set up any volume groups you want manually. And then on top of those volume groups, you can set any logical volumes you want to create manually. So what's actually happening there is something you can do manually. There are a lot of commands in LVM that all stem from the two initials for each of the layers. So the bottom layer is the physical volume, and that's called the PV. The next layer up is the volume group, and that's called the VG. And the next layer on top of that is called the logical volume, and that's the LV. So once you know those three things, then you know where to start. So you start at the bottom, and all of the commands start with PV. So you'll have PV create, PV resize, PV move, PV display, PV extend, all that stuff. Same goes for volume groups. VG extend, VG resize, VG you know, create, VG destroy, and all that stuff. And then at the top level, logical volume, same way. LV create, LV extend, LV reduce, so on and so forth. So it, it makes a sort of intuitive sense. So let's start with the the easiest configuration of logical volume manager, where you have one hard drive and you want that one hard drive to be one physical volume. So that's certainly the easiest way to do this. So if you're gonna do it manually, let's say you already had a Linux system running, it was already using LVM, but you then installed another hard drive into the system and you wanted to set it up for logical volume manager as well. So what you would do is, once the system came up, you would type PV create, and then the device name, for example, slash dev slash SDB. And that would make that hard drive a physical volume. Now, at that point, you've assigned it as a physical volume into logical volume manager. So now you can do a couple of things. You can create a separate volume group for that physical device. And if you wanted to do that, you would use VG create, and then you would create a volume group name, and then you would specify the physical volume device, like slash dev slash SDB. You can, it, it, it's my understanding you can do this with or without a partition on the hard disk. If you want to partition it first, you can. If you don't want to partition it first, you don't have to. If you do partition it, you're going to lose some storage because of metadata that has to be stored inside of LVM. And if you do, you have to make sure that the partition is actually set to type 8E which is the Linux uh, LVM partition type. And if you use like parted or gparted and you do an L for a list file system codes, AE is, will show up as Linux LVM and that's the one you need to use. You cannot create a physical volume on a partition that is not set to that type. So the normal Linux type, which is 83, I think, will not work. And again, if you're doing this through the installer and you do the like AutoMagic install, you don't have to deal with any of this because it does it all for you. So once you've got the hard drive installed and you use the PV create command, then you have to do one of two things. You can either create a new volume group using VG create. And uh, the syntax of that is VG create the volume group name. And then of course, the name of the physical volume, the device, or you can extend an existing volume group onto that new device. So basically what you'll have is you'll have a volume group, you'll have a pool of storage, if you want to consider a volume group like that, that extends across both of those hard drives, your existing one plus the one you just installed. So depending on how you want to do this, you know, you could set that up either way. 
So let's say you extend it across both disks. You use VG extend uh, with your existing volume group name. Let's call it like volume group. And then you add the, the physical extend again, slash dev slash SDA or B or whatever I said earlier. <laughs> um, so once you've done that, you've created a volume group that covers the extent of two physical volumes. So now if you have two 500 gig hard drives, your volume group includes one terabyte of storage. And then you can carve that up into logical volumes. So you could make one extra 500 gig partition, or you could make two 250s or five 100s, or you could just leave some of that space blank to expand onto later if you needed to. So let's say you created um, you know, a logical volume that has 100 gigs of storage. So you do uh, LV create, and then you can use dash dash size or dash L, that's capital L. Uh, 100G, you give it a name, dash dash name, you know, logical volume two or something like that. You can name it whatever you want, as long as it makes sense to you. And then you specify the volume group. So let's say it's called volume group one, something like that. So once you've done that, it creates a new logical volume on top of the volume group. And then you have a logical volume and that is what is presenting itself to the Linux kernel as a new device. So the equivalent of a physical device like slash dev slash sdb2 for example so that doesn't actually get you anything right away what you have to do on top of that is install a file system you know and in most of the cases or at least the cases i have outlined here those file systems would be like ext3 or ext4 file systems you can do others it doesn't really matter it's agnostic to the file system that runs on the logical volume uh, but we'll talk about ext uh, for the purposes of our discussion here tonight so once you have that physical volume, it will be called something like slash dev slash volume group one slash logical volume two. That's literally what's residing on your Linux file system. That's what that new partition is called. So if you wanted to create an EXT file system on it, that's where you would use your normal, you know, make E2FS dash J dash blah blah whatever slash dev slash volume group one slash logical volume two and once you've done that it will create a 100 gig file system in that partition and you'll have access to it just like you would any other file system on the system you can mount it in any directory you want like you can create like slash data two and then you could mount slash dev slash volume group one slash logical volume two into slash data two and then you would have access to it like anything else and once you've done that, it's kind of agnostic to the system. It doesn't matter that the logical volume manager is actually running underneath. It just feels like a normal mounted partition to you. So at that point, you know, you, you basically have a system with all this logical volume manager crap underneath and you haven't really done anything with it, but it does allow you to do kind of cool things. Like if you suddenly have slash data two filling up, but you have all this extra space in the volume group, you can use the command, for example, LV resize to make that partition bigger. And this can be done on the fly while the file system is live. So you can LV resize and extend it by say 100 gigabytes, make it 200 gigs. You can do this while the file system is live. And as long as you have space in the volume group on top of those physical volumes, you'll be able to do this with no problem. Just remember it's a two-step process. You have to extend the logical volume, then you have to use uh, resize 2fs to actually extend the file system 
so that it expands to the size of the new logical volume. And you can also go in the other direction. You can shrink a partition from, say, 200 gigs down to 100 gigs. There's definitely a couple of caveats with this. First is you want to make sure that you're not shrinking it down below the size of the data that's actually contained on the file system, because that would be bad. And generally speaking, this should be done offline. In other words, you should unmount the file system, shrink it, use resize2fs to shrink the file system, and then bring it back online, and that will allow you to have a smaller file system. So that's the basics of it. That's like the the bare minimum basics of actually getting a logical volume to the point where it's operating and a file system installed on it where you can actually store data. So at this point, before we move on anywhere past here, let's probably ask if there are any questions. Oh, well, I, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now I did have, uh, so can you, can you take an existing installed file system and convert it to LVM? Or do you have to like have a second drive to move that file system you cannot, from a non-LVM system? Right. You can't take an existing file system and convert it directly to LVM because you actually have to change the low-level file system type. Remember, like a Linux file system is type 83 and a Linux LVM file system is 8E. And you can't actually do oh, that without okay, destroying yeah. the partition. That That's at the parted level. However, what you can do is you could you could have another storage device or a storage device that had ex- extra space on it, create a logical volume, move the data onto it, then delete the original partition, create it as LVM, and then move it back it, ah. if you wanted to do that. So, Well, that actually makes sense. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> must Just be- a question I had. That, uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I must not be drinking enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Don in the chat room says you can't create hard links across file systems, but with LVM, a file system can span devices. And yes, I did touch on that. You can have this is the equivalent of if you're familiar with RAID at all, this is the equivalent of a RAID zero file system where you have two physical hard drives, for example. And you're using Logical Volume Manager to create the equivalent of a software RAID 0, which is where the volume group and the logical volumes consist of all of the space on both hard drives. So it's transparent to the file system. So, for example, if you had two two terabyte hard drives and you created a volume group that created the physical volumes of both hard drives, then you could actually create a logical volume that spanned all four terabytes that were available. Now, the big problem with things like software RAID 0 and LVM across physical volumes is that if one of those volumes goes away, all of it goes away. So that that can be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> zero fault tolerance. Yeah, it is exactly right. What um, RAID 0 is equivalent of striping. In other words, you have all of the data stretched across all of your available storage. However, it is no in no way fault tolerant. So, however, you can use LVM to do the equivalents, as I mentioned before, RAID 1, 5, and 6, which are fault tolerant. Um, you can set it up in a way that you have, for example, three hard drives, and you create enough storage so that it uses the storage available to two of the hard drives, but you have the third one set aside for fault tolerance. 
So if one of the two online hard drives fails, all of the data will be um, copied. It's not copied. It's it's copied in the sense of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, parity. There's parity data across all three drives. So that if any one of the three drives fails, the system will still work because the parity information keeps the system consistent across two available drives, any two available drives. So at that point, you'd be able to take the failed hard drive out, put another one in, and then then you would be able to uh, sort of reconstruct the parity information, and you'd be able to uh, go ahead with your uh, high availability at that point. Um, they're talking about, Don at least is talking about RAID 1 in, in the chat. And then what that is, is you, instead of having uh, fault tolerance across three or more drives, you have fault tolerance across two drives. In other words, both drives are mirrors of each other. So what you lose is space because you literally have two copies of the data. So if you have two two terabyte hard drives, you only have two terabytes of available storage. However, it is fault tolerant in the sense that if one of those hard drives goes away, then you're safe. Of course, if both of them die, then you've got real problems anyway. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, as long as only one of them dies at any particular time, your setup is fault tolerant. And when you replace the other hard drive and, and put it back into the volume group, then you'll be able to replicate that data again. So, and uh, at least in uh, they're talking about striping and extra space and all that stuff. So, the idea behind RAID, at least. In like RAID 1 setups, the idea is that both drives are the same size so that you can have a true mirror. But Logical Volume Manager doesn't require that. It's more like JBOD, uh, just a bunch of disks. It doesn't require that any of the physical volumes that underlie volume group be the same size, the same manufacturer, even the same type of storage. You could have some NV, you could have some like NVRAM and some regular RAM and a hard disk and a USB thumb drive, and you could include them all in a volume group and stretch the and stretch your logical volume across all of that media. Now, that's a bad idea, but you can do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John's just all for RAID one only. <laughs> just buy a bigger drive, you cheapo. <laughs> right? <laughs> buy the big old drive and then just put two of them in there and mirror them, and you're set. <laughs> yep. Well, there's something to be said yeah, I, for some of the, the double layer raids like zero plus one and one plus zero. Um, because those, some of those actually allow for multi-disc failures, but that's actually talking about, that's talking about raid at the hardware level. And we're not talking about raid at the hardware level. Of course, you can put LVM, you can put LVM on top of raid if you want. I mean, if you want, if you really want some flexibility. Uh, you can have your hardware controller actually controlling RAID at the hardware level, making sure that you have redundancy, and then you can use LVM to coordinate your storage on top of RAID, and then you really have some redundancy, some high availability, and some flexibility. But this that's getting into situations where you're really talking about like you know business and enterprise deployments. This is not something you're probably going to have on your desktop PC. Because you're probably not going to have four available hard drives, and you're probably not going to want to spend the time to set up all of this crap. So, <laughs> uh, so, so that'd be that'd be more of the uh, the business class or enterprise level when you're when you're getting into that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I saw a lot of like where people would use a hardware RAID and they had LBM on top of it, and they would use it to separate out like their you know var directory, uh, you know, oh, from away from like the application and like the user home space in a separate uh, location to have a little bit better isolation of those um, basically mount points uh, in different partitions. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have enough space, if you have enough free space, you can create separate um, like storage areas so that all of your volumes in your partitions don't actually fill up all of the space that you have available to you. And you can use that extra space for doing snapshotting so that you always have like, and you can run snapshotting, for example, out of a cron job so that you always have like at least a 12 hour old copy of the file system. So if something actually gets corrupted, you can just, you can immediately roll back into your snapshot or something like that. Uh, and it also allows you to, change the file system sizes like we talked about before so as long as you don't use up all of your available file system storage space right at the very beginning then if your var partition starts growing over like your 100 gig mark you can just expand it while the file system is live without actually running into a zero available space situation which can actually cause data corruption and all kinds of stuff so um it, it is useful in that way but again, I see those more as business case or enterprise class reasons to use LVM. Um, in, in a simple software raid situation, you can, you can use logical volume management just with two hard drives in a raid one mirror situation, kind of like Don was talking about. And that's something you can do at the home PC level because most home PCs have the opportunity or the ability to, to run two hard drives. And honestly, block storage is pretty cheap. Uh, so if you do want some fault tolerance and some redundancy, it would be a good way to actually put that in place without having to have an actual RAID controller, a hardware RAID controller and computer. And those can be kind of pricey. Um, this does everything in software. And one of the points they actually pointed out in uh, the earlier things that we mentioned is that the Linux kernel is now robust enough to be able to do software RAID using LVM at the boot partition level. So you can actually have boot rated if you want to. It's actually, um, there's, there's enough in the uh, initial RAM disk uh, that comes out of the bootloader to actually create and to actually boot a system from an LVM partition. So you, you can be pretty redundant these days, even at the, you know, the home computer user level. Well, there's a lot of chat going on. <laughs> I think we generated more chat. A lot of opinions. To, yeah. <laughs> and now they're talking about tape backup. Oh, let's not even go there. Yeah, people still do tape. Oh, oh we my do gosh. Tape. Yeah, we do tape. Yeah, Russ's company yeah. has shelves of tapes. It's amazing. Well, tape. Fun part is, is when that tape drive dies and then you try to put a new one on there and it can't read any of the tape. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's at least been my experience with tapes over the years. We actually have a <laughs> tape like, library. It, so a rope oh yeah carousel yeah. yeah yeah hard drives are so cheap now you can almost uh just rotate out stacks of hard drives right all right so that's a lot of information i know it's a lot of information uh it, it's really easy to play with though if you have a virtual machine environment if you want to create a vm for example that where you allocate two hard drives you know to physical logical hard drives. Of course, we're getting into multiple layers of uh, virtualization and, and uh, <laughs> physical and virtual devices at this point. But <laughs> um, 
if you kind of if you kind of remove the abstraction of the physical volumes at the virtual machine layer and and talk about a VM that has like say two fifty gig partitions or two fifty gig hard drives allocated to it, um, you could actually play around with this very easily as far as creating the physical volumes, the volume groups, and the logical volumes, and play around with things like extending a volume group onto both physical volumes or resizing a volume group or resizing your partitions or any of those things. Um, they're really easy to do inside of a virtual machine environment and you don't have to worry about like exploding anything because if nothing else, you just wipe the VM and start over. I did have one more question on the, sure. uh, on the snapshotting. Yes. So I'm semi familiar with how ZFS does snapshotting. How, how does LVM do snapshots? My understanding is it does it in a similar way. All you have to do is a, there's a specific command and I can't remember which command it is, but you give it the S option. I think it's LV create S. Um, and what that literally does is creates, it creates a snapshot of the volume, which is not a, I, I'm not actually sure if it's a true physical copy of the logical volume. Um, I don't know if it's a file system like Delta reference where it keeps the state of the original volume and then a log of changes, or if it's an actual byte copy of the original file system. But what I did see is that when like the tutorials I watched created a snapshot volume, they made it the same size as the volume they were creating the snapshot from. Oh, so that led me to believe that it requires the same space. So it's probably a byte copy. So there's probably like a, it's not instantaneous. I guess it is instantaneous, especially if your initial logical volume contains nothing on it. If you create the snapshot at the very beginning, then it will be, then like every time you do a write to the original volume, it will do a write to the copy volume and it'll be essentially instantaneous. Interesting. That may be wrong. <laughs> but that's what i got from what i saw sounds right. wrong <laughs> sounds too easy <laughs> but i mean it's like you know two rights for one doesn't seem like that uses a lot of resources especially especially in modern computing so but again that could be wrong so don't take my word for that but but just the idea that creating uh, a, i'll have to research yeah, I'm that, do myself, that too yeah. and i didn't expect that question to come up just but just just the idea that the snapshot volumes should be the same size as the original uh suggests that it's not a delta it's it's not a change lock well yeah because the lvm is sort of separate from the files well file system is separate yes that's right and i did not i do not remember honestly if a file system was created on the snapshot volume i assume it was not so Okay, Don says snapshots create pointers to the old volume, and then data changes writes with both blocks. So that would suggest it is a change log. So um, I'm not sure then why the I'm not sure why the original or the snapshot volume would have to be the same size as the original, unless you just wanted to make sure that there could never be data loss. Maybe Don can answer. That. Never lose data. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, what Don is saying is snapshots create pointers to the old volume. Then as the data changes, it writes both blocks so the pointers evolve over time. Has to be same size or larger. Okay. See, that to me, now, this is just me who knows really not a whole lot about file system layouts and file system structure and things like that and a lot of file system theory. But it would seem to me 
that if you're doing a snapshot as a change log where the actual changes could be larger than the file system itself, that is inefficient. Whereas you could easily just do a double write and have a copy of the file system. So, yeah, interesting. <clears throat> this is why you should avoid it if you're on a laptop or a desktop, right? <laughs> yeah, generally speaking, like I said, if you have a single hard disk set up in a desktop PC yeah. or a laptop, LVM doesn't get you a whole lot. The only thing it would get you is if you didn't partition the entire physical device at the beginning. You, it would allow you to resize partitions on the fly if you needed to add to something to like your slash home or to your, you know, to your var partition or something like that. If you had like a growing MySQL database or something like that. Um, but I think just to set it up, just to set it up on a machine that you're, just, you know, it would just be a thought exercise more than anything. If you want to do it just to so see that, how it works and see how you play with it. Yeah, so that, that begs the question. Why why do you, why do you set it up on your laptops? Uh generally speaking I don't. Um oh. <laughs> Well what happened that one time? Well that one time was literally that that thought experiment. I, I actually wanted to set it up to see you know how it would work. And I and occasionally when I fire up a machine I just set up LVM because I want to. Um yeah. if for no other reason just to remain conversant with LVM. Just, just so I don't forget, <laughs> you know, how it works. Um, but as far as like doing it because I need to, no, that's never really happened. <laughs> Usually when I come to high availability and redundancy and things like that, um, especially at work where those things are a real concern, I generally do that in hardware. So I don't even, I don't even use LVM in that scope. Yeah. That's been my experiences. I just spend the money on the controller. Right. And the drives. Yeah, exactly. But this is really cool because, I mean, this is more along the lines of you'll probably use this a lot in virtual environments as well, where you may assign volumes of data, you know, <laughs> from, you know, the warehouse uh, to a, to an instance. And then you could add it quite rapidly and easily into your uh, your virtual machine. Yeah, absolutely. If you had that set up where you could actually mount that device into a virtual machine, it would be very easy to move the data around. Now, one of the things we didn't talk about is things like PV move and VGA split, which are give you the opportunity to move data from a logical volume to different physical devices. I kind of touched on it earlier, but if you're in a situation where you actually wanted to take the data from a logical volume and move it to a different physical device, whether you wanted to move that to a new piece of hardware or boot it up into a VM or something like that, but you actually wanted a copy of it, maybe your hard drive is something or, you know, is failing or something like that. There are utilities built into MVM, uh, LVM that allow you to actually create a clone of a logical volume and move it among actual physical devices. And in some instances, that might be useful for you uh, to avoid uh, catastrophic failure of, of physical volume, for example, uh, or something like that. Or if you just needed to uh, clone it for migration uh, into a different VM or a different uh, physical machine or something like that. So. Uh, you know, in some cases, this might be useful, but I would say just, you know, out of the box for an average user, there's no real reason to use it. Well, there you go. Completely useless. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no, it's one of those things like we talked about at the beginning. It has a lot of functionality. Yeah. It has a lot of, you know, but where functionality is, it breeds complexity. So if you're if you're trying to avoid complexity, you definitely want to avoid LVM. But honestly, as far as the command structure goes, it's really simple to set up. I mean, it's, it's, you know, take a hard drive, 
create a physical volume, create a volume group, create a logical volume, create the file system. And, you know, all of those commands are basically, you know, it's PV create, VG create, LV create, uh, you know, make E2FS and you're done. So, yeah. And they have the auto magic, you know, method uh, in, in the, the installer, installer right? when you're just getting yep. started. Yeah, so you can simplify. It's like, oh, I want LVM because I'm going to do some weird stuff with, you know, st- drives later. But, you know, um, it definitely gives you that availability when you uh, launch the installer to to kind of get it set up to, you know, bootstrap it at the beginning. Right. And if nothing else, like I said, there's no real performance hit for using LVM. So if you wanted to set it up, especially in that automagic way, and then just use it as your normal file system structure, it would be completely transparent to you. The only way you would know that you were using LVM is when you go onto your system and you do like a DF instead of seeing, you know, slash dev slash SDA one, you would see something like slash dev slash mapper slash root or something like that as your file system. And that would let you know that you actually have LVM running and that your file system is actually running on top of LVM instead of down at the, uh, you know, the core file system level. But as far yeah. as far as functionality and as far as like affecting you day to day, it would be transparent to you. So you threw this thing in about alternations and aug- or alternatives and augmentations. Did you want to talk about that? Well I think we kind of talked about it in pieces, you know, like hardware raid, you know, obviously that's an alternative to software. Um and we already talked about the LVM can also just sit right on top of a hardware raid, depending upon your use right. case. And then we also kind of mentioned ZFS, but ZFS is a little different animal in general. Um, and there's use cases for using one versus the other. And there's also the availability to use an LVM on top of ZFS. <laughs> so right. just to make things a little bit more interesting and convoluted. <laughs> um, but yeah, ZFS is a, is a much deeper topic as it's a, as well as a file system as, uh, right. you know, doing volumes plus a file system so uh yeah it's a little different a uh, little different animal but i wanted to kind of just make sure that we we kind of touched on those which i think we uh we we did in a way that makes sense and uh, i couldn't really think of any other you know crisscross product right implementation that we didn't really talk about you know we talked about virtualization um there are a couple more newer things that have come out since ZFS that try and do the same thing. I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but it might be worth doing another deep dive where we kind of compare and contrast LVM, ZFS, and and maybe ButterFS, and a couple of the newer ideas for doing file systems that are sort of outside uh, the extended Linux file system realm, because most of the modern Linux distributions, especially the ones we talk about, like Debian and Ubuntu and Mint and all the ones that are based on those, pretty much exclusively default to ext3 and 4 and they have support for all of these other file systems they have support for butterfs and zfs and stuff like that but we never really touch on those so it might be worth doing another deep dive into actual file system structures yeah maybe we'll wait for some feedback on this and see if uh see if people are interested in us talking about yeah, it that sounds good yeah, like I said, you know, before we went to air, I was like, you know, this LVM topic is a huge deep dive, and and I'm pretty sure we've only sort of scuffed the surface of it, and I don't know how much more we want to go into it now because we're already about an hour. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's good. I think it's a good kind of surface look at exactly what it does, what the use cases are, and yeah, it does a lot more. <laughs> it does a lot more, <laughs> but. Uh, 
but I think I think that's probably good enough for this instance. And I, I kind of gave you that little carry on to the feedback thing, and I was kind of hoping you'd catch the hook. <laughs> I, I did <laughs> when I when I kind of said, "Let's wait for some feedback." I threw the hook. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, he, "Okay, there we go." There's slow one stuff like that. <laughs> magically leading you in well, this is where i say something like announcements and yeah, feedback. this is where i say something like and bill just led nicely into feedback right there so let's go ahead and talk about announcements and feedback and then i'll just cut out all our sh- other shit from before and then it'll all sound really good so. <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> all right so anyway let's do a couple of bits of announcements and then we can let you guys actually talk a little bit about some of this feedback so i can shut up for a minute um we do want to touch briefly on the hamvention 2019 campaign it is still live it's still out there it's kind of stalled uh we really hope we can get a few more people to donate to hopefully get us up to that thousand dollar level um we're under two months now to hamvention it's 59 days we're a fourth of the way there so yep we are a quarter of the way there but we definitely still need your help uh, the URL is url.bcts.com. Wait, url.bcts.info. Yes. And see, Thank I'm just going to have to redo the whole end of the show. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's url.bcts.info slash HVC2019. That's where you can find the campaign. Uh, so please go there and donate if you can. Uh, we found out that the minimum donation is actually five dollars, right? But every five dollars helps, and we would really appreciate it. And regardless of whether you can donate or not, please share it on all social media, share it in your amateur radio club, just share it anywhere you can. Let everyone know it's out there. We appreciate it. And preceding Hamvention, we will of course have our eyeball QSO, which will be happening at Zydeco's Five, Mooresville, Indiana, on March fifteenth. May 15th, which is a Wednesday. Shut up, all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a Wednesday. And uh, we hope to have a nice big crowd out at Zydeco's as our little precursor party to Hamvention. Yes. K9KJN will be uh, providing all kinds of uh, yummy treats to order off of his menu. So, Well, that sounds good. I'm already ready to go. Well, I'm pretty sure there'll probably be a crawfish waiting for us. So yeah, let's hope there is. Yeah, you and Bill can suck heads and show people how to do it. <laughs> suck it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> of course, we have we have to put Hutch at the head of the table to show us how to do it again. Absolutely. So, so we hope to see everybody for the pre-party, and we hope to see everybody at Hamvention in 2019 out in Xenia. It's going to be a good old time. So. And then we have some feedback. We actually have what three bits of feedback here? Four. 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 Yeah, four. All right. So I'll I'll do this first one. I guess uh, I just I just heard about this today on Twitter. Uh, someone posted that Randy W U T S posted W U two S. God man. All right. I'm gonna start over. <laughs> Once again. I'm just. I'm always, obviously. I'm gonna just have to actually go through the last ten minutes of the show because yeah, it's been a. Oh, just let it go out. It doesn't matter. Jeez. I was like, right. geez, man. We already, hey, we already said at the beginning that we were the amateur well, yeah. running this thing. So, <laughs> so anyway, Randy, W-U-2-S, 
did a write-up of Linux in the Ham Shack in the Fairlawn, New Jersey ARC Resonator, which is their uh, newsletter. And their newsletter is actually quite something because it's like 50 pages or something. So they, they really do a newsletter. Wow. So that's, that's quite the uh, amateur radio club they have out there in New Jersey. Uh, but Randy is one of our supporters. He's one of our listeners. And he did a full-page review Cool. Of Linux in the ham shack, and it's uh, it's actually kind of a favorable one. So <laughs> we're we're not we're not ashamed to let <laughs> until at least know, he hears this one, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to see the next uh, Farallon air. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some redaction, right? Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing's just gonna be black errata. Um, yeah, we're sorry about that last uh, article. <laughs> uh, we'd like to apologize. <laughs> that should have never got printed in that way. <laughs> Uh, a link to the article before it gets redacted is in the show notes, and we are on page 29. So check it out. We appreciate that, Randy, and thanks so much for doing the review and being a listener. So, all right. Who wants to do first one? Bill, I'll Bill, do the yeah, first Bill, one. Do the first yeah. one. Yeah. All right. All right. So this is a comment on episode number 272 from Norman, KC9NVN. He says, Hey, guys, I got question for you i'm a long time windows user sorry about that uh no, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> it has a it has paid for my lifestyle and supported my family for many years so not a linux user but i know enough of the basics to handle simple tasks one of the questions about linux is why the hell are there so many variations of linux and why are there why are none of them compatible with each other it reminds me a bunch of kids that can't get along with each other and have all taken their ball and left the playground. So what distribution would be recommended? Sorry, recommended. <laughs> For sure you someone, don't want me to edit this at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> that wants to start with Linux. Needs to be fairly mainstream and well-supported. I am not a programmer and have no reason to hunt down obscure library and build the application. I want to be a user, not a developer. By the way, your website needs a contact us page. Trying to find your Twitter handle, but not finding one. And need, needing to go to the show notes page to leave a message is a bit unusual. Thanks for listening to my rants. Norman, KC9NVN. Wow, Norman, you got a lot of questions in there. Uh, let's start with the first one, which talks about all the variations of Linux. I'm assuming you're referring to all the distributions of Linux. Uh, Linux itself is the kernel, and generally they all use the same kernel. So if it says it's Linux, it's the same. <laughs> there are different distributions, and those distributions may or may not make it easy for you to manage packages and install software. Uh, the one we recommend here, and uh, the one that I use personally quite a lot, is uh, Ubuntu. And I'm currently on the LTS, the 18.04 release. And it's all patched up, auto-updated, and everything else. We have uh, an entire video series on getting your ham radio station on our YouTube channel uh, using Linux. It's a, it's a little old because it's based on the last uh, 1810 release. <laughs> so uh, I think, wait, no, which, which release I did? I it was 1804. Or 1710? No. I think it was 1710. Yeah, I think it was 1710 when I did that. But it's all the same stuff. Um, all the notes are basically the same, so there's really no difference. And if you're just doing this to install a Linux box, just for playing around and learning and installing software, start with that. That's that's going to be 
your easiest trip into the into the mix because you can use a software center you can find all kinds of applications you don't need to be a programmer you never even have to open up the console if you don't want to so there you go um there there, there are, the other distributions are still great um you know there's a, a lot of people like elementary os it's again built on ubuntu it has its own little package manager it does have a lot of uh you know donate <laughs> when you go to install applications that may be a little confusing um but it's really good for the for the uh, the, the developers that actually work on those projects um as well there's fedora core um and they're up to version 29 fc 29 uh that runs fine too um the package management you know i have never even used a software center on that so <laughs> i can't even i can't even claim to know what that even looks like um but I have used the package manager in Ubuntu, and I think you'll be fairly happy with using that. And since you're a Windows user, um, all you have to do is, uh, if you want to see how many versions of Windows actually hit websites, is be a, a web developer and look at the look at the metrics of how many different versions of Windows actually hit websites. And uh, that that would be a question that I'd have. Why are there so many variations of Windows still operating? <laughs> and of course, there's so many different patch levels of each version of Windows that is still active and you can uh, again pull those metrics as well but uh, every operating system has that that kind of nuance where there's lots of different versions and, and and lots of different looks and feels and stuff like that so uh but yeah i just go with ubuntu and uh, enjoy that uh and what about this contact us part here uh yeah um, we do Russ? i i said something to Russ in the last year because somebody else said something to us about we needed a contact us page. Well, or I said something to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can uh, either turn the about us page into a contact us page as well, or I'll do something to make it easy to actually send an email. Well, you should also have the Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Information. Yeah, I definitely need to put that up where it can be easily accessed. Yeah. I, I will do that. Absolutely. Needs to be Web 2.0ified. Yeah, <laughs> We're and, still and I would like to say, <laughs> I think I think his analogy about um, Linux Left distributions being a bunch of people picking up their ball and going home—that's kind of the case. No, I think it's actually the opposite <laughs> of the case. Okay, because I thought it was the case. No, what I think it is is somebody wrote the Linux. You know, somebody made the Linux ball, and somebody said, "Well, I don't really like the Linux ball, so I'm going to take I this ball, and then it, I'm going to make right. like a green ball instead of a red ball." And then someone said, "I'm going to take a yellow ball instead of a green ball," and then what they did was they took all of those balls and threw them back into a giant ball pit, and you have to dive in and figure out which one you want. Well, okay, that's a good analogy. <laughs> so, uh, that, that's kind of, that kind of works too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like there are no balls. There are just no, a lot of balls. There's plenty of balls. <laughs> <That's> yeah. <right. laughs> yes, and we have a whole movement trying to fix that problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, right. thank you, Norman, for your uh, for your feedback, and I hope that uh, that helps you uh, get that answer. And uh, we'll we'll try to fix those bits on the website that uh, need a little help. Yep, absolutely. Thank you very much for the feedback, Norman. I'm glad you've uh, at least listened to one show. <laughs> Hopefully it's more than one. Uh, but anyway, thank you very much. Uh, also, we had a comment on episode number 266 from Pierre, Victor Echo 2, Hotel Sierra. And he says, guys, I can't find the show notes for the CWC++ project. Uh, that was from V2HS. Uh, I sent him a message back saying that I had posted the show notes for episode number 266. I am behind on show notes. Uh, there are several episodes where the show notes have not been posted. 
Um, as of the last like three or four, I have been consistent in posting the show notes when I actually post the episodes. Uh, but I want to say there are a good eight to 10 episodes where those show notes are still lacking. They will be posted as soon as I can get to them. But I did specifically post the show notes for episode number 266. So the information he is looking for is available. So thank you for uh, letting us know that uh, we are behind. It's something I already did know and I'm trying to get caught up. But uh, at least the information you're looking for, uh, Pierre, should definitely be in, you know, there available to you. So thanks for the feedback. I appreciate it. And we'll let Cheryl wrap it up with the last one here from Gene. All right. Our last email is from Gene. Bravo X-Ray 8 Alpha Alpha Delta. Says, Dear Russ and Bill, just finished listening to episode 273 while waiting for my classes to begin this evening. DX cluster stuff is pretty foreign to me, so your introduction was very helpful. Thanks for doing the research and providing a clear presentation. Hope Cheryl is feeling better soon and that you'll be back in top form again soon, Russ. Also, sorry to hear that one of your dear canines passed away recently. That has to be hard to take. 73, Gene, VX8AAD. Cheryl is feeling great. I think Russ is feeling a lot better. I'm feeling much better. Yeah, we are unfortunately short one dog at this point, but... Yeah. You know, yeah, we're we're starting to starting to get over that. But thank you, Gene, for yes. recognizing it and uh sending us some feedback. We appreciate that. And uh thank you for letting us know that our information about DX clustering and uh spotting was actually useful to at least one person. Woo-hoo! Hey, that makes it all Yay. worthwhile. So. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Gene is definitely one of our uh you know Long time listeners. I mean, he's over in Taiwan and he visited with us at Hamvention last, last year, year and yep. everything. So, uh, we really appreciate Gene and everything he does. And he's, uh, what is he, uh, does like missionary school over in Taiwan or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. So, yeah. Yep. So English very good. is a second, la- second yep. language type thing. So, yeah. So thanks everybody who sent us feedback and who listens to the show. We appreciate that. And we certainly hope we can, uh, Get a few more donations, uh, donations to roll in here, and we'll be uh, seeing everybody out in Mooresville on the 15th of May and then over at Hamvention when it rolls around uh, for the 17th, 18th, and 19th. And with that, we're going to close this one out. This has been episode number 276, a semi-shallow deep dive into the Linux Volume Manager. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. 
Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license